Hi, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I always say I'm excited. I feel like it's redundant. I'm excited to bring you today's guest. I'm like sick of saying that. Like today, I'm just lit up, thrilled. I'm like giddy. I'm giddy because I'm not only talking to my friend, Sarah Zimmerman, but I'm talking to somebody who I've been like following and adoring and idolizing. And you're like an influencer in my head. You're, you're, you're in my head, in my head, in my heart, like you're, you're just full of spunk and fire and purpose. Um, and I, I just admire you. I'm so glad you're here, Sarah Zimmerman. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. And I feel the same about you. I'm watching with the same admiration from across the country and through the screen. Thank you. Thank you. We have never met in person, although I hope to. Um, Sarah lives out in California and I'm in Maine. So that's going to take some work. But I met Sarah. Long like, walk. A long walk. <laughs> I would like to take a long walk by myself right now, though. <laughs> Can I? Maybe I should do that. <laughs> Just start this way and I'll pick you up somewhere along the way. We'll figure it out. We'll meet in the middle. Except the middle is kind of terrible. I was going to say, I don't know if I want to meet in the middle. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about the messy middle in a minute. Um, I met Sarah, as thousands of you listening have as well, through the uh, untamed Facebook group, which you facilitate. What's the word? You lead it, you facilitate it, you created it. Like, what? Do I, you- yeah, I moderate it. That's what moderate. we call it. It's a, yeah, it's the Glennon Doyle. She wrote a book last March and I started a small Facebook group and now there's like 5,300 people from all over the world. And myself and 11, I think other moderators help to just keep yes. things friendly and moving forward and, you know. It is definitely a friendly, fascinating group and, you know, it goes beyond the talking about Untamed. I just find it to be an empowering place. I, f- I feel like it's the place, if there's something that I want to celebrate um, or process, I, I go there and I don't always post myself, but somebody is always posting something that resonates with me whenever mm-hmm. I check in. So I, I think it's a brilliant space you created. I'm sure you weren't expecting 5,300. No, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I love going there and feeling like there's somebody's been through this or understands it or can at least like offer me some, you know, support or just scream with me, swear with me, laugh with me, you know, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of camaraderie and it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to be part of it, you know? Yeah. It's a great, a great sense of belonging and a a safe space, which we don't, I don't feel uh, enough, um, especially through social media. So good work woman. Thanks. Sarah is also a freelance writer and a blogger and an author. You're working on a novel. Do you want to tell us about it? It's trying to kill me and I'm very mad at it right now. Um, I've been knee deep in like editing typos and based on what Grammarly, which is the software program that helps you clean up your, your language. uh, (laughs) What it tells me is English cannot possibly be my first and only language. It has to be like fifth or sixth on the list because this is just abhorrent and it, it's just mad at me about the funniest stuff. And so I, I've, yeah, I've, I'm, uh, I'm trying really hard. I, I've got now, so I'm reading it now in that kind of level of detail after I've rewritten it a few times, you know, for 
theme and character development and plot and make sure things make sense and are like funny and solid and, and uh, intentional and everything. And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, I've had like 12 people read this book and I didn't spell magnet right one time. And all, it's just like all of them, <laughs> I probably have 10,000 unnecessary commas. Yes. And someone had to suffer through that, you know? <laughs> so, I, it's such an arduous process that is in the end, the latest, the later steps, I feel like not so pleasurable, but, but it's so much fun. It'll be there soon. You'll have it in your oh. hands. It'll be tangible. And do you think you're, you're the person for me? It was like, literally, as soon as my book was done, I felt the strange urge, like after you deliver a baby, like it wasn't so bad. Like I literally felt the urge to do it again, like the very next week. Do you feel that in your bones that you're going to just want I to have so this is fiction and I have other fictional ideas, you know, coming through my head. So this is like fiction based on real life, either mine or other people that I've talked to, you know, it's about kind of a marriage uh, on the rocks and a woman trying to figure out her identity and, you know, if she can still be herself with all the responsibilities of life at 40 and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's very real, but also fiction. So yes, I've started kind of developing already what I want to write about next, but it, it's such a pain in the ass. I don't know that it will ever be worth it, uh, but I might do it anyway. And, and, and in theory, maybe the next one won't be as hard because I sort of have a clue what I'm doing this time. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, does the does the blogging fuel you enough? Like getting getting your getting your thoughts on paper somehow? Yeah, that helps a lot because you know the book is. Um, uh, it can feel like this this enormous undertaking to do anything with that so if I just want to kind of spit something out that doesn't have to be you know con continuous con continuous yeah but continuity can yeah I guess yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to fit into the 78,000 word tome yes. I can just blog it off to the side and that feels that's nice to just have that release you know and because you've been working on your novel so long and you've changed so much and you've gone through so many transitions like do you ever get bored of your character or feel like you need to add to your story like I go it's gone through some major major changes as I have yes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. You're think, like I'm like right. oh she wrote a book about me a woman in marriage and feeling like lost in her identity like does everybody uh I'm sure most women can relate to to what you're writing about but do you feel like almost every conversation you have with women is this messy middle kind of feeling stuck not a sense I hear of that a lot I hear mm -hmm. that a lot yeah like I'm a service animal I'm a, I'm a machine for the people that I live with or work with and nobody really sees me or knows me and I feel just kind of lost and alone and you know is this is this as good as it gets is this all I deserve is it you know is it selfish to consider wanting something else I mean these are frequent thoughts uh, you know yes. that, that are that I've shared and that have been shared with me and are making it into the book yeah yeah. And I feel like in the process of wanting more that I've outgrown so many people in my life. So relationships are harder, the more I claim my own power mm -hmm. and identity and desires. Um, is that, is that part of the, the, the theme that you notice as well, that, that women are kind of outgrowing their relationships or they're not necessarily only their marriages, but just relationships on the whole friendships, Family. And I think also as we learn more about the systems that we are born into and are just something that we've been swimming in and, and we kind of um, back up to more of like an objective distance view of that, um, 
we see what we've just been enduring and what we don't have to, and that it doesn't have to be this way. And so if our partners and our peers and our friends and stuff are also making those same revelations and wanting to make change, it can thrive, right? You grow together, you learn together. But if someone is still stuck in the muck and someone is way up here in the tree looking down at the muck, it's, uh, that doesn't, it's, that doesn't work at all, especially when the muck dweller is trying to pull the tree person back down, you know, like that's just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tree dwellers always trying to pull the person out of the muck. Yeah. That's a, that's a battle. That's my life. How did you know that? <laughs> because again, like as much as we think we're special swans, we actually are very much all dealing with the same stuff, you know? And so these are themes that I just keep having the same, you know, so are you the tree dweller in your family or the one stuck in the muck? So it, it all varies, right? Like day to day and topic to topic, you know, like you'll talk about one kind of, uh, again, like system that you were born into that you have all this enlightenment about. And then you'll look at another one and you're clueless muck dweller. So it just depends. Um, we thankfully, so I am married fairly contentedly to a man at this point. And he's a, a blazing feminist, right? Who is identifying the patriarchy often before I am in situations and fighting hard to, you know, figure out the male ego and uh, the toxicness that can be there. It doesn't have to be. And I mean, he's, so, so that's worked as I've grown. So has he, you know? Yeah. That's refreshing to hear too. Yeah. Well, I, yeah it's and it's the only thing I mean like I, I don't I don't think I I could have stayed if you weren't doing the work as well you know yeah I think this is a I think this is a common battle I hear this from my clients that were and I'll and I'll just say that I'm hearing mostly from my female clients you know they're they're reading and they're podcasting and they're doing therapy and they're gathering and circling up with women to talk and then they come home and they feel like they have to not just armor up but but actually shrink to fit into the container of their marriage. And then there's that sense of like, where's this going once the kids are grown and there's this perception uh -huh. of like, as soon as I graduate, you have all this, you know, new space and opportunity. Um, but what I'm starting to realize that like, even when my youngest goes off to college, that that doesn't actually um, automatically mean that I'm going to feel really expansive and free um, or content that there's this still, I feel like a restlessness that will come over me if my partner doesn't also have activism in his plan, doesn't also have learning and unlearning in his plan. And so I kind of shove it down his throat and like hope it sticks, um, which isn't the best, but, um, but I feel like that's a common story of like, women saying, Hey, I read this book on tamed. You should read it. So you know why I'm so angry all the time. Right. And sometimes I'm so glad that you have a, a type of marriage where he will read it. And it sounds like it like absorbs too. It works. Yeah. Upon it. And it hasn't always been this way. And there were some awful, awful conversations that we had mm -hmm. along the way getting there, you know, as, and he's done it too. He's evolved in ways that I haven't, and I had to catch up. I mean, it's, it's kind of gone both directions at different times, you know, um, reading the same books is a big one. I mean, I think that like, you know, I mean, there's a reason. So, th so that's something though, like there's a reason that close friends often join in a book club 
because books are so powerful and they can change you and move you. So you get together and you talk about the ways that you're changed and moved. Men have never done book clubs, right? Like, oh, and they, wow. and they often aren't, and you know, so that, so they're not, it's not just the self-help books, but just kind of fiction, like anything in general, it's just not something that is encouraged. Right. So that's been a, like a big boon for us is, you know, we've been reading some of the same books and then we talk about them and he's actually started a guy's book club, you know, because he wants like, and, and they make eye contact. It's not like they're sitting next to each other at a sports sports ball game and then maybe accidentally have some sort of conversation. The purpose of these gatherings is conversation to share ideas about what they read. And it's kind of revolutionary. Like all of them universally are like, oh, I've never done this before, <laughs> you know, yes. whereas most women I know have been in numerous book clubs, you know. And is he still working um, with the book Fed Up or is it beyond, or is he working beyond that? They, they started with that and then they keep doing new ones. Lately, they've been like, you know, cool. summertime. So they'll do like a podcast they'll all listen to and then chat about that or whatever. That's awesome. So it's in person even? No. It in, oh, it's virtual. No, it's, yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. Now, part of that is that like, we just moved across the country from everyone we know, right? So it's convenient that we can meet this way, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, and it's fantastic that you live in California where it's progressive. And I'm sure you just happen to bump into a lot of people who also share your uh, views and um, desire to change. We right? haven't met a ton of people yet, but I get the impression that um, we, once we get to know people, we'll, be, we'll find some like-minded folks. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I, I feel now it's probably uh, maybe passive aggressive and manipulative what I do. But today I sent John, my husband, to a gender identity workshop. Like he had no idea what he was walking in on. I was just like, you should take this workshop. And then, and then he's in a space where he's like, all right, well, that Brene Brown podcast you sent me was pretty interesting. So I'll just assume this workshop would be interesting. So luckily he's somebody who will also go, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I have this, I have this um, real desire to have conversations about the things I care about in my own uh -huh. home. Um, and if I can't in my home, then I have to leave my home, which of course is not a form of connection within my marriage. And then I think it just it, it becomes a vicious cycle where like, then I just want to spend more time with my friends and, um, yeah. you know, and, and then I want to try to connect with my partner or so. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky dynamic. It's a challenge. And again, you know, so it's what I'm realizing with all these countless conversations is that it's such a, such a pattern that it has to be, again, the system that we all were trained within, right? Like it's not, they're not unique in being, uh, and, and never like self-awareness is not being a goal or even something that they're, they're, they know should be a goal, you know, like mm. that's, that's, it's common to, to have to confront things within yourself and to have to learn and change. And like, I don't, I don't know that as anything that a male ego is encouraged to do mm -hmm. does that make sense like yeah. because it because it's because it, it's vulnerable and it's weakness potentially and it's things you don't know and that's scary as hell you know so it is it is the um the organization that he went to was an organization called today the workshop was boys to men who i've been talking with a lot and working with because i'm fascinated with raising a boy today you're raising a, a boy as well right that's i right. have a son and a daughter mm -hmm. okay okay um yeah it's a it's a I have a son who's 25, um, but I feel like that was a lifetime ago and I made all the mistakes. 
<laughs> his shampoo looked different than my daughter's shampoo, bringing it back to Untamed. And um, I didn't, I wasn't aware and witnessing um, all, of, all of the patriarchy as I am now. But nonetheless, right now I'm raising now a 13 year old boy who's incredibly emotionally intelligent, sensitive, compassionate, empathetic, all the things. And I honestly do worry like, what how he will navigate the the world as as a boy um and man later and um just everything from like I think he's inherently lazy and he really doesn't have like the ability to um make it through the day without kind of falling apart, which I could totally relate to. So I created work where I could talk to people about falling apart. So I'm like, other than that path, it's just hard to imagine. And I get myself caught up in, in um, the misperceptions and my own perceptions of, uh-huh. of what I think is um, a successful, you know, uh-huh. career. How is he gonna, how's he gonna support a family? Like, so I think we should be encouraged though that like, so if you're seeing that in him, first yeah. of all, as much as we'd love to give ourselves full credit and also as we blame ourselves for anything that, that they do, oh. there's more influences in his life than you, right? So he's seeing this elsewhere. He's got peers, probably, you know, he's seen this on TV shows. He's seeing this. So I think there is a movement where boys are more able to address, uh, you know, and um, all the all the parts of themselves you know all the emotional mm-hmm. and i think there's there's more emotional intelligence happening and more willingness um permission to just say no i've had enough i can't i can't do this anymore today i need to sit i need to rest i need to mm-hmm. you know not not be in charge or not know what i'm talking about for a second i just need to bow out like i think we're getting there you know where like mm-hmm. all of that is is a little bit more okay Yes. And that they can lead us there. I mean, I think, I think actually I, I keep finding like, I think we're behind. I think that like even corporate cultures and stuff that we think of this as like impenetrable fortress. I think that's starting to shift, you know, I mean, Brene Brown is, is in all these corporations teaching about vulnerability and shame and everything. And, and I think it's starting to, we're seeing a, a cultural mm-hmm. you know, shift. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I do hope you're right. I suppose we're stuck in the. <laughs> I hope so too. Well, I, I think I hear, and of course, we're not seeing a lot of people in person. So he's in middle school and I'm hearing the one-sided conversations, you know, he's having right. with, with his friends and, um, and I see him struggle socially. Um, well, in middle school, I mean, I got to believe that's still like the most horrible couple years of your life. I don't think we've gotten evolved that far yet. <laughs> we haven't evolved that much yet. Oh my God. There's just such, so many dramatic changes, shifts happening within each person and each you know yes. peer group and I mean it's just it's brutal yeah yeah right under the be- best of circumstances even if Brene Brown was his teacher he'd still be struggling right <laughs> no I think it's just terrifying I think we're just we're so afraid to be you know to not fit in to not be um normal and we're trying to identify what that even means and I, I just think that all of it kind of comes to head then there's not you know they have the like ability now to assess in a different way than they did before and they're trying to see where they stack you know yeah just yeah scary and that whole idea of fitting in versus belonging like I know what I need to do to fit in right now you know socially and in the world but it doesn't feel good anymore and it doesn't feel authentic and I don't feel seen and known so then I don't feel a sense of belonging there's that loneliness in it in that attempt to fit in yeah 
Yeah. Well, and, and within the marriage too, right? Like if you, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you had certain kind of, again, cultural expectations as a couple, as a family, and then you're identifying them as harmful to you, or you, you're just not interested in them anymore. They don't, they don't serve you, but they still, but nothing's been addressed as like a unit, then yeah, you feel like you have, you're kind of this false you is coming back to follow these rules that you don't buy anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of like a playing, playing the game, but also trying right. to fight, fight the systems that create the game in the first place. <laughs> oh yeah. God. Well, so before we came on, on air, you were talking to, we were talking about how, uh, you know, we, we like look at our necks when we're doing zoom videos and then we're like mad at ourselves for looking at our necks. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, Oh God, look at that, you know, armpit pudge. Like who the cares about armpit pudge? And if you care about armpit pudge, I am not interested. Like that is not something that is interesting or essential or like, come on, you know, but we're so trained to, and we fall yeah. right back into those roles because it was so, it's just, it's everywhere. It's so hard not to, you know? It is, it is so hard not to, um, but, but I hear what you're saying. And I, I think I said, I have shame about the shame. Like I've, I have shame for noticing. I have shame for worrying about it. And then, and then I get myself wrapped up in like, why am I so, I, I, if I'm so evolved and I'm, you know, such a feminist, then, then why am I still thinking about whatever neck armpit role? But, um, but yeah, you and I talk a lot about that body image and, um, you had, I feel like a radical it seemed radical fun and liberating is it a, called a boudoir session what is that what is that called you have to say it like just like you just said it there with your eyebrows all raised and like yeah wow. that's the only way um yeah so there i saw this ad i turned 40 last year i saw this ad that said you know it's for 40 over 40 there she was doing like the special deal for for women to empower us and stuff like you know older women over 40 uh and their boudoir pictures and so all the pictures were of like fancy you know negligee and like cool shadows and dramatic this and that and I was like well that that sounds amazing and I've gone through so many crazy changes in life and stuff in the last couple years and you know again identity stuff like this would be really neat to do and then I'm such a practical asshole that I made it basically into like a like like promotional pictures for my websites and stuff like I can't I can't just let a thing be a thing I had it so now I've got all these like headshots and stuff with one picture of me in a bra and here's the story about the bra picture is like I have a very hate hate relationship with my boobs now I love them in that they haven't killed me yet or anything they're healthy it's healthy tissue right I've had a mammogram this year I know it's healthy tissue but they're enormous and obnoxious and I'm so over them. And so I'm actually working on getting the breast reduction soon in a few weeks. Oh, so soon. I, soon, like soon, soon. Yeah. So I did this boudoir picture that was like the one where she's over me and I'm on the bed and I'm all sprawled out and I'm in a bra and I'm all like, now like make sure this tattoo shows, but cover up, Ooh, cover that up. You know, like I'm like that all contorted and stuff. She's like, you have to squish them in. They're falling into your armpits, like runny eggs. And I was like, I can't, okay. But then it's going to be even more contorted. Like, is this hot? You know? Is this so, hot? <laughs> is, it, is this cute? How's it look? And it was like, it was like by far my oomphiest bra. It was as good as it was going to get in a lying down position. And yeah. she, this little tiny petite thing, was just like, you've got to make them more perky. I'm like, look, baby, I... <laughs> I'm going to go have surgery for that. But until then, this is as good as it gets. So, so it's a very, um, it, do, it doesn't look 
I don't look comfortable in the picture because I was not comfortable in the picture at all. <laughs> so if that whole thing is what you're into, it's a sexy boudoir picture. Yes. But you are, are you happy with any of the photographs? Oh yeah. I mean, they turned out beautiful. The one fully clothed, like again, they're, I mean, they're spectacular and she's a, she's a uh, portraitist and she's like nationally, internationally known for it. So, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I'm very happy with it, but. Oh, good. Now, are you going to do a, tots. are you going to do a, after breast reduction surgery, another one you think? Like, a, like, not just like a before and after, but like, are you interested in doing it again? I don't know. We'll see how, I, I mean, it's, it's expensive and it's you know, like, it, it was definitely like a total splurge for mm-hmm. me, you know, it was like a big gift to myself. Um, so maybe in a few years or something, we'll see, but yeah, it was a good experience. I mean, I was, it was fun. I felt like a model, you know, she was really sweet and I got my makeup and my hair and my fake eyelashes. <laughs> like I, I felt like the drag version of Sarah, which is. <laughs> I went, I went into a store yesterday. I do not have any, um, pretty or sexy pajamas or lingerie and um and I sleep by myself so I think it doesn't matter but I went into a lingerie store yesterday thinking maybe it does matter maybe for myself I want to wear something Mm -hmm. pretty and whatever and then of course it's all I think lacy scratchy up here and then like silk and I'm just thinking I'm like lactating and sweating thinking about like these sweaty, right. liquids that are going to come don't out don't you of- think that they're not meant to be slept in but they're meant to yeah. be like dropped on the floor exactly because i'm thinking like okay if i still menstruated i'd be thinking about like oh, i'm gonna bleed all over that and then i think i'm gonna pee all over that and then i'm gonna sweat like it was just ugly and then i was thinking why would anybody wear these to bed but i then i was feeling shame for not feeling in pleasure enough and you know embracing my you know desire to wear something pretty enough and i was like i'm not gonna spend a hundred dollars on something i'm just gonna stain tonight like in the first hour so yeah it was it was a it's kind of a mind fuck when i go to get um the other day i went to try to just and this wasn't even like laundry it was like a a comfortable what do you call those i guess cami like it's not Mm -hmm. a bra but it's not a tank top but it's got a little sport is that a cami well built in something yeah i don't know yeah once again once again i'm like a quadruple g or something so i this little cami cuteness that you're describing i don't understand but go on i'll, I'll imagine go well, ahead you might then you might relate to it because i went in and i said i want like a cami layery thing because i get hot flashes and i like i don't mm-hmm. want to be in a restaurant just go down to my bra i want to be mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. wherever and release into something, something decent that's- yeah and um so she's she like looks at me and she's like well maybe like a I don't know like medium to large I don't know we'll try it and then when she went and then like I went through the medium I went through large I'm like like it's not networking she's like let me see if we have an extra large and then she's like that's still not covering okay well maybe in the back room like have you had this experience where like maybe in the shelves under the boxes in the back room in the alley which I mean it's such bullshit because you're on the small side of an average woman, right? Like when, is that a fair assessment? I don't know. There, it turns out they're like, uh, too big for pretty things and yeah, too small for porn. I don't know. (laughs) It's like CD. It is amazing. What is not available considering what, what the average, and this is not true. Not, uh, this is true beyond just 
negligee and stuff and bras yeah, and everything but like shirts. most most yeah most clothes only go up to like a 14 or 16 but the average person wears a 16 plus you know right. or something like that so right. it's absurd that it's had you just go back to the back alley to find it that's just a shameful experience I, I agree. I actually contacted, because I'm a bitch this way, I contacted the person who designed the, the lingerie line. Wow. And are they going to be on, their, on your show next week? Or I, I mean, I, I know her, but I contacted her and I said, like, I had this experience. It was really like, it like, it like perpetuated or validated my shame about it. Yeah. And I said, like, why doesn't an, an extra, extra large fit? And like, what size would I get? And, yeah. you know, unfortunately in this style there was just not the the size available um and and they're very um body positive accepting company so I was like oh that doesn't fit so I was it was frustrating but I it was nice to have a conversation with her and and she said it helped shift things in the company we'll see but um but yeah I find it to be really uh, annoying that it's still so hard and will it always be hard to go shopping, like you said, not just bras, not just bathing suits, not just jeans, but like everything. Is it always like going to be a struggle? No matter. Well, do if you, you have to like, you know, can you only wear the like frumpy? I mean, so right. I'm to a point where I like comfort, but I want it to be like sexy, cute comfort. And yeah. I think you can have that. It's just hard to find, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, cause I don't, I don't want to look like an enormous grandmother yet. I'm not there quite no yet. No moo's yet. Right. Is that what's called? Moo moo. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, my mom makes, um, it's not sexy, but it's like for curvy women. I don't know what she calls it, but it's like patchworky and, and it's a little bit of like a fairy, um, I don't know, whimsical, which I like, but I don't feel sexy in it. So I don't, I don't love it for me, but I'm glad that, that she's meeting those, uh, needs for people. But, um, but I want, yeah, I want it to be comfortable. (laughs) and sexy mm-hmm. and fit and mm-hmm. readable and cooling and non-staining mm-hmm. and <laughs> all the things yeah. why can't it just be magic clothes I don't know I don't know what the problem is here I guess what I don't know I I also think like you might be more stylish and trendy and keep up with things I'm still wearing exactly the same clothes you know larger sizes not the exact same clothes those are like museum pieces now but that I've been wearing since high school you know like I watched Helen Hunt and Twister in like 1995 or whatever. And I was like, that's it. That's the one that's, it's just a tank top and jeans. That's what I'm going to wear as my uniform for the rest of my life. That's, that's my pretty uniform. Much, pretty much that's it. Or as Glenn says, that, that's my costume, your costume. Yeah. <laughs> my Sarah costume. When I get dressed like a Sarah in the morning, that's what I put on. And then Gemma, the mom from Sons of Anarchy wore basically the same kind of thing. And I was like, confirmed, coolest characters ever. They wear the Sarah costume. So it's happening. Thank jeans. Very good. Well, you're are you wearing a Wonder Woman shirt? Like I'm I'm sensing mm-hmm. a Wonder Woman emblem. Yes. See these boots. <laughs> That's also it's, the it's stretched. It's it used to be an emblem and now it's like a whole damn paragraph. I mean, yes. <laughs> w W. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> She's like, this is like the Wonder Bread woman. Yeah. um but yeah so because that's like my uniform I'm very excited to get reasonable size tats you know and some of my like how do you make that decision like how do you make the decision of what size to go to oh well the decision to do it at all was based on back pain and stuff like I've been miserable and I've gone through so much expensive therapy and stuff so I'm 
that's why I'm making it worth it. And by the way, yeah. I don't know yet if my insurance is going to cover me or if I'm going to be sobbing the whole time because of the cost of it. it I'm not sure if it's related to pain. Don't you think like it's your back pain? <laughs> my gosh. I, I think because it's done by a plastic surgeon, the suspicion is that you're trying to get them to cover it for aesthetics, you know? And so it takes a lot of evidence for them to yeah. believe you that it's that it's a medical thing. If it was done by a general surgeon because you're taking this massive weight off of your spine, you know, they might be more inclined, but because it's plastics and they're gonna make it look pretty and you know, a lot of people get liposuction of their armpits, people like me, then you know, it, I think they just kind of think it's like a fruit. So thing. if they were two tumors, you would get like coverage, right? Well, yeah. yeah yeah thank god they're not you know but yeah yeah so as far as what size to go i don't it's been a bizarre experience shopping for boobs <laughs> you know my, my my husband and i just like scroll 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 i'm like did you know honey they have breasts on the internet <laughs> no i've never seen a breast on the internet sweetie. he was like what <laughs> is that allowed is it for medicinal purposes <laughs> So, do you, yeah. are you just like checking women out though like that size of, like do you ask like i'm sorry to ask well like what size are you what season well, no i'm not that bold but i'm just stalking people creepily on the internet but um it's more like i need to find somebody that's like my because i'm like a big person you know like i'm 510 i'm like i'm wide and so i you know i can't look at somebody who's teeny tiny petite and say that that's gonna look the same on me because it's just not so i'm trying yeah. to like figure all that out also you know, you lose the the top and suddenly like the belly looks dramatically bigger than it did a hot second ago. And so I'm trying to like, I'm like, oh, I guess I should do a sit up before my surgery. So we'll see if that happens. You, you want them big enough. So when you look down, there's like boobs before the stomach, right? <laughs> well, and then maybe toes too. Like all that would be ideal to look down and see, but I was talking to somebody the other day about grooming, like shaving bits that I don't shave because I can't see them and I you know, like I can hardly reach them. So like, I'm not going to yeah, shave <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I do all of that. It's, it's <laughs> my grooming is in the same line of my costuming. It's got to be comfortable. <laughs> Easy, low maintenance, comfortable. Are you, you're a Wonder Woman down there as well, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. Aww. Well, this took a turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as I knew it would. <laughs> you, in your past life, you said, or your previous life, just a while ago, were a physician's assistant and you worked in healthcare. And does that experience, because you obviously come to this with a lot of gratitude, like you've mentioned already several times, which is beautiful. Like, I'm glad they're, that my breasts are healthy. I'm glad the tissue is healthy. I'm glad there is no tumor. Like, do you have a greater sense of um, gratitude towards your, your body parts, despite all the shame of patriarchy because you worked in healthcare? I think so. I also, well, and I have really close friends who young have been dealing with breast cancer and gone through treatment and everything. So I'm very much keeping this in perspective that this is even it's back pain, but it's, it's very elective and it's, you know, this, this could be a whole different terror kind of experience that it's not, you know? So, uh, yeah. And, um, I'm very, after having worked in the hospitals for 15 years or something, and then doing surgery for like 12 of those, um, uh, 
less critical maybe about my body and other bodies because it just that the stuff that we focused on societally totally does not matter at all you know yeah and when someone's on a table like you can't first of all you know it's true like you can't pick a body out of a lineup we're all way more similar than we are different you know what I mean like like we see it's a very vulnerable experience to go into surgery but but truthfully we're all very similar and they're just you know it's a job to be done and you and what you're focused on is the like minute task at hand and you know it's so interesting so when you're you're saying like when you open somebody up we're very similar that the shell you know the suit that we wear is just inconsequential to to all the others right and then beneath that you know just how alike we are and connected we are just energetically and spiritually where even the organs don't matter at that point you know um yeah it's an interesting perspective and i i think it's um this is going to sound this is going to seem like a left turn to anybody who's just listening who isn't in our experience but do you feel like growing up with grief and loss and i'll let you go into detail about that also made you feel more uh gratitude for your for your health and wellness or fight for it more fight for your own health Um, worth everything I'm kind of fatalistic about like um I guess I look at bodies are always deteriorating (laughs) they're we're all like we're moving toward that end right we're all breaking down in some way so I don't I'm not as kind of shocked and appalled when something bad happens because it's just one of the things that happens there's going to be there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and there's no like baseline of I don't look at it as like baseline normal healthy perfect and and then these deviants I look at it just kind of as you know this is this is part of owning a body you know the ups and downs yeah. and stuff so I you know and I don't know I mean yeah so I was like six or something when my sister was diagnosed with leukemia and then she had it for the most of her life and then ended up passing away. And so I was raised in a hospital setting and it was not only wasn't it a bad experience as scary and sad and hard as stuff that was happening, but it was like fun. It was like the place to be. Everybody was so loving and fun and cool. And there was, you know, stuff to do. And it's where the people were who were going to fix her, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so, to, so then I, myself and my other living sister both went into the fixing people profession, you know? Right. It's almost like, how could you not that, that having that experience growing up, you spent a lot of time in the hospitals with her during treatments then. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I, so I worked for, again, I worked in hospitals for like 15 years because it just felt comfortable. It was home to me. You know, people, some people can't go in a hospital because they think death and they think they, they smell that sterile, weird smell. They say, you know, like it just is like a unpleasant place. And to me, it's just so comfortable. Mm. you know so going so so this surgery that I'm having this is my first surgery ever personally right I've done these surgeries as an assistant but this is the first time I'm going with a knife I'm having some nerves as anybody does because I've seen you know of the many 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 that I've done very few have complications but I've seen that I've witnessed them you know so that's in my mind but also I just kind of I don't know again I'm just sort of whatever happens, it's, we'll figure it out. And yeah. You have a trust. Statistics it. are on my side and yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's worth the risk. And mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, and, and it sounds like you also want and have trust in your, your doctors or the team that you're going to choose to, or the hospital itself that you're going to choose to do this in. 
Yeah. Plus, I just moved to California, and you have to have breast surgery within the first year of moving to California, or they kick you back out, and you just find yourself across the border in Nevada. Like, I'm picturing on the back of everybody's car, like, you know, the sticker down in D.C., Baltimore, like, everybody wrote where they went to graduate school and what Iron Man they ran. But, like, <laughs> like which doctor, which surgeon you use for your yeah. breast, uh, for your Just breast. like your environmental here, you know, you have to have, like, your car checked out for fumes and stuff in here. It's, you know, what did you do to your breast so far? <laughs> and what are you doing on your face next? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to be in really good hands and I'm just yes. to have it over with. It's going to suck for a while, but like, you know, it's kind of like childbirth. Like it's going to suck for like, what, 15 years, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they're gonna, I always am intrigued. I've, I've had several surgeries, uh, hip surgeries and spinal surgeries and oh my gosh, again, like probably seven different major surgeries with, with oh general, general anesthesia. And, um, and they always say something like it's about a six week recovery, you know, definitely don't drive for the first two weeks. Um, don't pick things up. And, um, and while I think that's smart to follow some of those rules. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Hey. So my, my PA self is like, wait, if you didn't listen, did you have to have the same surgeries twice? Is it because no. you were a non-compliant patient? Okay. Go ahead. No, I wasn't compliant, but that's not why I had the surgeries good. Um, my hip was, re- my hip was recalled. That's just a whole nother story. Oh. That was weird. But, um, but after a surgery, they said, wait six weeks. I think don't drive for two. And that night as life happens, my toddler had his first asthma attack. We had to call 911. I couldn't hold him. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I'm not allowed to lift anything. Um, and then my husband rode in the ambulance. So I, I don't know, two hours after general anesthesia drove, followed the ambulance and then walked into the hospital, like Kind of, I was wondering if I was breaking a law. Probably was breaking a law. Right? That's not probably illegal to drive under. But I was thinking about just how mm, it's really hard to go to be put in um, restriction like that as a mom. Uh, it's yeah. almost impossible. Like, it, like it's after a C-section. Uh, like, oh, uh, after your C-section, yeah, by the way, don't take care of your baby. Don't take care of your baby, or, or don't hold hold them while you breastfeed. Got it. Um, interesting. Every time, every time I would tell, so I worked in ob for a long time. Actually, oh yes. So I did a lot of robotic surgery, like hysterectomies and that kind of thing. And I also did obstetrics, helping with C-sections and I would do discharge, um, instructions to the new moms. I'd say like, don't lift anything over whatever, 10 pounds or whatever. Every single one of them would look over at that giant ass baby carrier that clips into the car and their baby who they know weighs like eight pounds. And they're like, ah, <laughs> I mean, okay. Wink, wink, you know, right. right. It's a I will say too, that this is so, you know, this is again, this giant water that we all tread air. We all breathe that women have to be available to serve everyone else. and can't take a, take time to, to take care of themselves. Right. Until they get to a point of breakdown physically or mentally. Like that's, that's just the pattern we keep seeing, right? So I did so many hysterectomies. So removal of uteruses or most of that or removal of fibroids on uteruses or removal of cysts on ovaries or endometriosis surgery, that kind of stuff where they had just let it go for so long that you get in there, you're inside, you know, and you cannot believe they can live like this. Yeah. It's pushing on the bowel, it's pushing on the bladder. It's got to be causing the back pain. It's got like their periods are wrecking them. Their hemoglobin is dropping. They're so anemic. They're so miserable. Everything hurts. How could they have functioned? And like, they weren't really functioning. 
not well, not as they should have been, yeah. but they could, but they just couldn't stop long enough to get it dealt with. Cause they were, they felt like everybody medicine. needed them. Yeah. And all their stories were like, well, then my mom got sick and then my kid needed yes. this and then I couldn't. So it's either money, you know, cause if, if you, you know, not everybody can afford it, especially if insurance isn't covering it, you know, or isn't available. Uh, and it's time, you know, it's, yeah. that's unreasonable. I can't possibly take that kind of time out to heal, even though I'm perpetually sick because of this, right. I'm never really healed, but I can't truly rest because that's too much of a threat, you know? Absolutely. I, yeah, I could see, um, I know I got caught up in that same pattern. I think my surgeries were from people pleasing, doing too much, teaching too, too many, uh, fitness classes. So then the surgery was from overuse. And then I didn't recover from the surgeries well, because I had to, I had to return to work and to parenting and to do all the things. And then to your point, probably perpetuated the uh, breakdown of my body. And then as we do, we have to completely, we have to be like, not just on anesthesia with doctor's orders to not drive. We actually have to be like unable to move our bodies to not continue to care for people. It's right. So some of it is very much internalized because we feel selfish. If we take any time to ourselves, we feel uh, like maybe the life will move on without us. If we're not there in the, in the center of it as the apex, Mm -hmm. everybody needs us. Um, we feel like our value all lies in being needed, all that stuff, you know, so that's internal and external, right? Because we were taught that and then we absorbed it, you know, but then also we need partners and kids and like family and people who will show up and say, you're on bed rest, you're allowed to be on bed rest, or you're in recovery, you go do your therapy, you have to do this, this is your focus right now. We get the rest of this stuff, and we see what needs to be done, and we will do it, you know? Yes, yes. And that's a challenge. I mean, that's, you know, Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these people, it, you know, it's interesting when I was talking to patients, how they would word things differently, whether their husband was in the room or not, you know, uh, but oftentimes reading between the lines, they were saying, I knew I couldn't bow out of life because there's nobody to bow in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so she's sitting there like literally bleeding to near death because she can't pause and get this thing dealt with, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think as we get older, thank goodness, we learn to lean on, um, I call it sisterhood, but our, but our friends, if we uh-huh. don't receive it as we, um, as much as we need to, whether it's from our families or, um, or, or our kids, if they're old enough to help. So yeah, leaning on our, on our friends, but asking for help mm-hmm. somewhere, whether it's, uh, finding a, a visiting nurse or um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a therapist or yeah, asking for Absolutely. help is such a skill and a challenge, um, constant challenge, but so important. We're, yeah. you know, and I think we're unique in that. I mean, it used to be villages, you know, uh, families, yeah. the, the culture was that you weren't expected to have a baby and then get it back up and do it. I mean, you were, you were, you had help. You had, you know, there was a sisterhood that just like filled in the gaps before you even saw them, you know? And I think that, you know, we have such nuclear, like distant families now and we expect so much of just this tiny little family unit um, that, you know, there's some loss in that. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's pro and con, right? Cause then you get to choose all the people that you're with instead of just, you know, if you've got like toxic family members, they're not just there as they would be in, you know, other cultures right. in history, but right. uh, you know, we yeah. can we have the uh, privilege to move across country if we need to or want. Right. Yes. Now Not in my situation, granted. No, but yes. Right. 
<laughs> your husband and children are prepared to allow you to rest in a couple weeks then hopefully they really really are good yeah good. and that's and that's been like a hard fought and and not just me saying I need this but them saying you need this you need to nice. figure out the skill like my husband he's he's adamant that I I mean that I take the time to be writing this book that I take the time to be having the surgery and the money and the like the loss of income and the like all of that stuff he's a much bigger fan of me than I am and that's huge you know I mean mm -hmm. that's a big deal I'm very grateful for that yeah and I've done it back to him right like this is two-way but it but I'm, I'm really feeling it and seeing it right now. Yeah. And we could do an entire episode on how other people, how other people see us and how we need to look to other people, friends. Oh gosh. Yeah. Colleagues, partners to, uh, to mirror our radiance and then believe it. <laughs> well, okay. Here's an example. So I started, I listened to your podcast a little bit recently. I was like, God, she's so smart and funny. And she's so good at this. And like so many podcasts are so annoying. And this one is not annoying. And I was like, I really want to be on it, but I can't just say that because that seems way too thirsty. So I'll just like write her a note that says, Pasha, you're doing awesome. This is such a great podcast. Congratulations. Dot, dot, dot. And I'll just wait and I'll hope that she'll ask me to join her. And, <laughs> and I was thinking like, she's too big of a deal and I've got nothing really important to talk about. And who even am I to be on a podcast? And, and then you were like, you want to be on my podcast? Are you sure? You know, because that's yeah you literally said am i important am i important enough to fill the space of a podcast i'm like what the fuck are you talking about you're like like this even like like huge inspiration for me um so yeah it was my thrill and honor but that's a perfect example because he, the story you were telling yourself um to use a Brene brown quote is that you weren't whatever fill in the blank enough and then the story i was telling myself is that my podcast wasn't fill in the blank enough to hold space for you and your right, brilliance right. so yeah we do this to ourselves and it's vicious we're so hard on ourselves and mean mean right. really well, that's everybody else other than really what husband. i'm really nice and supportive to everybody <laughs> other than my husband and I. <laughs> I can relate to that mine uh had a major bike accident years ago and he like herniated just terribly and i was basically like everybody over 30 has back pain walk it off what's wrong with you and then he saw one of the spine surgeons that i work with who was like oh oh god this is really bad and i was like oh i'm kind of a dick yeah so like i'm you like you talk I'm to like everybody else you oh no are you kidding well he's accused me of that like i'm so empathetic and so kind to patients and yes. colleagues and stuff at work and then i come home and i'm just you know Yes. I got nothing left. I've tapped out. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I try to tell him that it's like, it's because I feel so safe and unconditionally <laughs> loved that I just can't. Just like kids, use... like toddlers are assholes to their parents because they feel so safe. Just like so I can't yep. use my yoga and coaching voice with you. <laughs> <laughs> Does that work? No. <laughs> He's like every once in a while, can you? <laughs> so we're working <laughs> So we're, I'm, my goal, we, we give ourselves intentions and my goal is to come, come at our conversations this month with more generosity, like rather than like, really, are we going to have this conversation again? You haven't learned this right. yet. Like you haven't learned about gender identity yet. I'm going to come with it with generosity and just like this is best efforts is best intent, you know? Yeah. And he's going to be like, so someone dropped me 
cold into this gender identity lecture and I had no idea and and I thought it was about fishing and then fishing. I, I asked some really weird questions <laughs> no I think that's nice because like you know I, I my favorite people are salty but yeah, there's got to be some sweetness, right? Like it's got to yeah. be the popcorn and the M and M's, or they're gonna Ooh, stop yes. reaching for a handful. You know, like it's got to be both. That's why I I don't always have a sweet, but I always have a humor. So I'm like, does that count? Is that close enough? Can it be salty yeah. and funny? Yeah, you're lightening it up a little bit. It's not all you know hard. Right. <laughs> I bring none of my humor into the house. That's the other thing I need to work on. So really, really. Yeah none no huh. no because it's not funny as soon as I walk through the doors nothing's funny I'm like this is not funny so I'm working on it um yeah interesting yeah does he yeah. well okay this is important to me does he have does he like your sense of humor when he witnesses it I don't think he's ever witnessed it or I don't think he knows it no. okay because that's a major would you say that's a major part of you yes it is now for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you're I- reserving for some reason whether you don't feel safe that's what it is. Yeah. Is it, that's what I said to him. I said, I don't feel safe enough to be, I feel I'm more vulnerable laughing than I am crying. I feel like it's more vulnerable to relax enough to show my sense of humor than it is to cry about my past traumas. For me, that's just my experience. Yeah. Cause I'm, and you're afraid of letting him witness your pleasure. I th- yeah, I think there's a safety issue. And I think there's just anger there. We have we have some trust issues that we're working through from past infidelities, which is no surprise to any of my listeners. And so I feel like I'm like bitter and I'm angry. And I'm like, you don't deserve my pleasure. And I don't, you don't, and I don't feel safe enough to share with my pleasure with you. And it's, it's not yeah. good. We're, we're definitely working on it. And it's very messy, very messy indeed. Um, Generosity, so- though, I would say probably the, the, the most generous thing I give people is my sense of humor. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to be generous this week, consider that one of the things okay I will I will that would feel very generous and gifty of me mm-hmm. yes. you don't want to because you're thinking he doesn't deserve any of this it's I get that yeah and yeah that's such a terrible cycle to be in because then if I like a year from now say and I'm lonely and I don't feel belonging it's like if I don't share my whole self how will we possibly meet you know in the middle anywhere so he's working on being more vulnerable and sharing his feelings more and I'm working on being vulnerable and trusting him with my feelings more it's you know it's like all the marriages out there you know where we feel um I don't know everything I also also, if I were you this is maybe unhelpful to the nth degree but I would feel like just staying and not kicking his ass out the door is already pretty generous considering everything that's happened Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so right? that, since, since you've made that decision, and, and, and I'm assuming he's made his, what's the word? Not comeuppance, but. Mistakes? No, like his oh. um, yeah, accountability, like his, his. Oh, like owned up to it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that that's happened. Yes. So it's been apologized. Then it's mm-hmm. very, very loving of you to offer further generosity. Much. Make that one of your goals. Yes, 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 yes. All of it for years, yes. <laughs> anyway, no, but really the humor thing, like I feel like uh, like humor is what connects people. It's this language that we kind of all speak and understand and it feels like little gifts you can hand out to people. You yeah, know? absolutely. I, I, yes, I, and I mean, I, I believe in it and I 
obviously created my work around it. Um, it's just so fascinating how we, some people in our lives, and for some people, it's their mother or their parent or their partner or whatever it is that they just have that, like, it's, it's, there's so much, um, you know, drama still there and messiness and, and anger and resentment. And that it's just yuck. So it's hard to work through. It's like our yeah. life's work to repair old, old wounds and old traumas. And I go back and I try to repair, you know, my womb traumas or my mother traumas and all of it. Um, so I'm constantly working on it. I just find it so fascinating that I work on it and I talk about it all the time and I still am not like, <laughs> so we have to keep talking about it, you know? Yeah. But if you, okay. Like, like if you were facing yourself right now, if you're having a conversation with yourself, would you say like, it should be, we should be good by now. Well, or would you say, yeah, no, it's a perpetual I, thing. And you yeah. actually have healed a lot. Yes. I would say good job for healing as much as you have. Uh, look at what you've, uh, you know, accomplished and moved through um, for yourself and, and that these are hard things to work through and that they're not going to just go away. Um, and good for you for persisting. Yes. I would say all the things that you're I know. See, the, and this at. is the thing, right? When you're like inside our own heads, you know, everybody is thinks you're sh the, that we ourselves are schmucks and that whatever we've accomplished is easy because we could do it. So, you know, and yeah. whatever we're up against can't be that hard, but why can't I just do it? And shouldn't I be beyond this by now? And like, I mean, everybody, when, if you really like are able to hack into someone's brain, everybody's like doing that in their own way, you know? Yes. Every single, whenever I start a Roar With Laughter cohort, somebody says like, I don't know if I fit in because my trauma isn't as bad as everybody's trauma. I don't even know if I have trauma. I don't really have anything to work right. through. Um, right. you know, and they'll say, I'm not funny or whatever, like the limiting beliefs. Um, but yeah, the, the, the shaming and the self-loathing and the unworthiness, um, and the not, um, claiming the impact of the traumas, whatever you want to call them. I don't mm -hmm. love to use, like the little T big T cause I think they're all just like cumulative mm -hmm. pain. Yeah. It's just pain. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I think. I, I, it's interesting to watch me or witness me holding space for other people's more empathetically than my own. That's what we do. It is what we do. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. But I think that's, again, something you're working on. It is. Thank you for this therapy session, Sarah. This is enlightening for me. You're going to edit out all of this. I've, I've worked through a lot of stuff today. Thank you. I feel very Oh my God. I'm sorry. So I was a social worker and then I was a PA and now I'm a writer and it's all just, yeah. I like, I just find humans so fascinating and trying to like find the lock and the key and get the things out. And that's just, I can't help it. I can't stop myself. You did great. I can't imagine us not going to these places, you know, so I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And it's been so fascinating to get to know you on a more personal level. And I'm so excited for you. I'm like, I can't wait to see your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they are stupid big right now. And they're going to be, you'd ask what size I'm going to, I'm going to go to like, just like to be on my frame I'm thinking like a high C low D do you think that would work yeah I think you'll look fantastic and I I wish there were a lot of like still really pretty comfortable lingerie clothes for for your size to be and I'm I'm saying it at that size that I, that I am now it sucks like so. it sucks are you still uh, yeah it sucks so I have a sports bra that I'm not joking has 16 classes 
Like it was designed by NASA. This thing, you remember the over the shoulder boulder holder, the song from Beaches, you know, like that. I mean, this is like, uh, it's they're it's impossible to live with. But it's going to take a a physical load off. Do you feel like also there's going to be energetic load off, emotional load off? Do you think that a lot is going to be released in that? I do. I mean, I've written about it some, but like my boobs, the first thing people see and they tell a story about me that I am not comfortable telling. I didn't want to tell. I don't want you to read you, 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 you know, like, it's like, I don't have any control over that. And people have such an impression of what a woman with big boobs is like, mm. or wants or is offering or, and I just like, so the whole social, and again, this is something I wish I didn't have to think about. I wish I was more evolved and didn't have to worry about it. didn't give a shit, but I do, you know, yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to be able to just like wear normal clothes, not having to always be mindful of that consideration. If it's going to be pornographic, if it, you know, if it's going to be revealing too much, if it won't close in the middle, if it'll like come up in the front because they just, there's a giant shelf. I mean, like all that stuff. It's just going to take a lot of that psychological pressure off and, and yeah. then the constant back pain and headaches and neck pain and shoulder pain. And- of it. I'm, yeah, I'm so happy for you. I hope you find great um, relief. I hope it, I hope the release the relief is fast and I hope you don't drive that night. You can just rest. <laughs> so I will be, yeah. So I'm going to be writing about it as it goes. I will. Um, Good. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be sharing with my subscribers on my page, like what kind of what led up to this and what the whole process has been like. And then afterwards, I don't know if I'll do it on anesthesia and coding and stuff. We'll see. That might be fun. Um, but I'll be writing about kind of what the process of healing is like too. And yeah, because you have an in, in the, in the field, would they let you like document it or like, like I was, a, I was a physician's assistant. I'm allowed to be in the hospital with a video camera or something. Oh God. No, 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 no. Oh I just need like, no, I don't want to, that's the, like, uh-uh. I have no desire to watch my surgery. Like if they offered to take a video of it or something like, no, I can't. No? Okay. something about, uh-uh. I mean, okay. I've seen them. I, I, it's already, a, it's already like makes me a little squeamish to picture what they're going to be doing that it's happening to my body. You know, like that's, okay. yeah, there's definitely like a, a little bit of a, I don't know, hesitation there. Yeah. No, I just mean, I just mean, I'll write about it later. Like what my experience was. Yeah. Like, so. Good. Well, I look forward to following that. And I think, um, as we, as we continue to talk about boobs, there'll be more boob episodes to come because I think we all have stories about our boobs. And I think that this is um, in good service to, to women out there. So more boob talk to come. Yay. And, um, yay. Thank you. Sarah. This is just a boob hour now. I probably would get more podcast listeners if I called it the boob hour. <laughs> but again, I'm not sure that you can put boobs as a topic on the internet I think it's discouraged so. yeah right I would get um banned before it even started yeah. right hmm. all right I'll have Just to don't code. put any nipples I'll have to code it somehow yeah I know now I want to go on and talk about things like Britney Spears and things I have so much I want to talk to you about um yeah. yes my mind is like going in several different directions but I know that my listeners are like, you have to cut it off sooner or later, Pasha, so that we can go do what we have to do. Mm. So I will talk to you again soon. I hope Sarah. So. We'll do part two post post surgery. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It'd be fun. See, and you thought you wouldn't fill a podcast. Now you're filling so much. You're, you're overflowing <laughs> beyond one just episode. It's just that, like, it's the, like, important identity. Like, I've never been to space. I'm not the CEO of a thing. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's, it's that. It's the, like, what do I put on the little 
wooden placard in the front of the desk I don't own, you know, like that. I do know. I know. I ended up calling myself CEO just because I wanted to put it on the thing. I'm the CEO of my company. Sure. And I, and I've heard women say they're the CEO of their family, which I don't because it just implies all the things that we're trying to, you know, avoid in terms of the the toll. uh, Oh my God. If I was the CEO of our family, my family's in such chaos at all times. (laughs) This company would be like going down. Our stocks would be plummeting. I mean, there's, I would have been fired a long time ago. (laughs) Honestly, like, especially if there's a severance, I would take it. Those days. Oh my goodness. Well, um, let's talk soon, Sarah. Thank you so much. How can people reach you if they want to read your blog, if they want to go to your website and read the boob story or any of your other fantastically funny witty stories? They're not all about boobs. They're just mostly about boobs. Um, SarahZWriter.com. So S-A-R-A-H-Z, the letter Z, writer.com. And that's Sarah Z Writer on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and yeah you're tiktoking now oh my god but I forget about it for like a week at a time and I also don't know how to do it so I literally before I I was googling how to do the tiktok right before I came on with you because I don't understand how people get like sound bites and they get like spliced screens and I just I don't get the logistics of it at all and I want to do it cool and I don't have the ability yet so yeah I want to do that cool thing too. I can't, I don't even know how to share an Instagram post. I don't even know. I, I don't like, yeah, all of it is very bizarre to me still. I'm so grateful that the middle-aged woman is mostly in my world on Facebook because I figured that out finally. So I'm like, oh, good. I'm good. Yeah. And every once in a while I'll try to post. And sometimes I'll go on TikTok. Um, TikTok makes me feel really like that sense of belonging because it's me- like people put their mess out there far more than they do on Instagram. So there's this- yeah. um, yeah. And I follow a lot of, um, parents of chronically ill children and yeah. courageous, uh, resilient stories. And it's, um, it's, yeah, it's very hard. It's a good format for that. I, and I wonder how the culture, you know, cause each social media platform seems to have yeah. its own culture. Yeah. And I, I wonder how TikTok became that way. I don't know if it's, uh, like, I don't know why it is allowed to be so vulnerable and it's short sound bites, which is good too. I think, you yeah. know, people can't just go on forever they have to get their point across you know but right. it really but works as a writer that probably appeals to you too the being concise cool. with it right yeah i'm not going yeah. on grammarly would tell you that most of my sentences are run-on sentences but grammarly is kind of a dick so we're not speaking right now <laughs> break up all right Sarah, thank you. And um, I'll, ro- I'll post all the stuff in the show notes. So if you're listening to this or watching on YouTube, you can find all the notes and all the things and where to find Sarah. Um, I, I, I adore you and your work. I love reading. I love did reading tell- everything. You did, wait, did you tell the people that I took your war class though also? And I loved it. And it was totally fun and absolutely empowering and cool. And I met some amazing people that are still my friends. And it's, I mean, it was seriously such a cool experience. Thank Everyone- you. That- everyone should do it. Are you still doing it? I hope you're I am definitely doing it. I'm in season eight and it's, and it's like each season just transforms different. It's super fun. Um, yes, I often forget to self-promote that way. Um, and my favorite part is that people are still like friends that you found a network of friends. You're still talking to that just lights me up. So, so happy to hear that. Um, yeah, fantastic community of um, really supportive, loving women. So thank you. Thank you for being the leader of that. 
You are welcome. Thank you, Sarah. And um, anybody out there who wants to learn about my work, whether it's one-on-one coaching or Roar With Laughter coaching, um, I'd be, of course, happy to talk to you. And there just happens to be a link in the notes for a free liberation call, a Calendly link. So yeah, tell me your stories and let's talk and laugh and cry and um, and see, what, see whether or not I can help. And if you love this podcast and you would be ever so kind to subscribe, share, do all the things. It really, really helps. It helps like light us up and be like, yay, people are listening. And it's also um, keeps, keeps us going so that new listeners come in and then we can get even, you know, different, diverse, expansive guests on. And uh, she means more important CEO types. (laughs) Um, Okay. So your liberation calls. Okay. So go ask her, but I did just say in the last podcast, I'm like, and I didn't mean to say it. I said, so we can get better guests. I'm like, I didn't mean better guests. I literally mean like more diverse guests from, from places beyond like my friend circle. Like, like that's what I meant. Yeah. That's a good goal. (laughs) So what about the liberation? It's just funny that we all, that we are just talking about how insecure and then you're like, and maybe we can get higher quality. Could you please like my podcast? (laughs) Um, Sarah's really my sister. I really need to move outside of my family. (laughs) Totally get that feeling. It feels like, like right now. So I'm, I'm taking subscribers on my website, and right now it's like it's it's my family and my immediate, really close friends, and it feels like a lemonade stand or something. You know, exactly. And it, until you get a hundred, so like sweet, but it's super sweet. And like you have to start somewhere. But um, when I uh with the YouTube channel, I can't even call it like YouTube slash Pasha Marlowe until I get a hundred followers. And I think I'm like at seventy. I'm like, come on. I like look every day, seventy one. And then I do another big podcast and I think I'm going to get 172. So what was your question about the liberation call? It's way too late. The joke has passed, but it was going to be about pantslessness. So just fill in the joke in your head in a a better version of than that. Pantslessness. Liberation. I think. Got it. uh, Got it. Okay. Okay. That's that's all. You're like the Edit this part out. The timing doesn't work anymore. The callback. I'm always, I'm always telling my kids, like, it's so much funnier when you have to explain your jokes because they're seven and 10 and their jokes don't make any sense. And then I'm like, so they have to walk me through it. And I'm like, oh, guys, God, I just can't wait till they understand, fully understand humor. You know, they're going to be so impressed with you when they do. They're like, my mom's funny. Oh, I hope you're right. Yeah, they will. Well, they, they won't tell you until they're like, 25 just so you know <laughs> they'll tell you they are tell you you're an idiot and lock the door and roll their eyes until- yeah because they roll their eyes a lot already now like <laughs> like i'm fearful for their eyeballs getting ejected from their sockets there's a lot of eye rolling <laughs> all right well thank you darling thank you fun. bye everybody thanks, thanks for listening you. bye bye